It's more than that, actually. I used to imitate with my roommates. We used to be goat men. I won't, I won't do my goat man impression for you this morning. Thanks for the last few months uh, of rest. It was well needed. It was really well appreciated. I'm thankful for that gift. I'm thankful for, I've already sent thank you notes to all of our guest speakers, but I was so thankful for them to be willing to come in and share a message with you. Uh, a couple of, or some of them shared a couple. I'm thankful for our part-time staff that kept things going. Kayla on the music team, Isaac in the back, um, Sarah with the kids, and Caitlin in our, um, in, our, in our admin team. And as well, really thankful for Pastor Tom and Seth and Taylor, who all did lots of other things that helped empower me to take that break. It was really, really appreciative. I'm continuing to process and reflect. I'm sure some of what God taught me will come out over the next few months, but thank you for that opportunity. I really appreciate it. This morning, we're going to start a series called, Do You Really, in parentheses, Believe? Um, My guess is that each of these message series that many of us will say, of course, I believe that. This morning, it's, you are called to make disciples. And we're going to look at, uh, each week, uh, a very well-known, maybe too well-known verse from the New Testament. We'll start out going through the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then we might wander around here or there after that, but we will get through eventually, probably not in one series. We'll take a break from this series and come back to it again at a later time because there's a lot of books in the New Testament, and I think we'll probably want to shake it up a little bit before we get through all 26. Um, But this morning, uh, we're going to look at Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and the reason why we're going to do this is that Sometimes these verses that are really well-known for a reason, there's a reason that everybody knows John 3.16. It's really important, not everybody, but most everybody has heard of that. And if you've been in the church, you've heard it a lot. We'll we'll talk about that in a few weeks. Actually, that'll be our verse in John. Uh, There's a reason why Matthew 28, 18 through 20 may be the or one of the top two or three verses that maybe gets mentioned at Cottonwood. Because they're really good. They're really important. They're really valuable to how, it, how to follow Jesus. But what can happen with these verses? They can sort of become like wallpaper. Uh, I don't know if you have any wallpaper. It's not really that hip or trendy to have wallpaper right now, I don't think. Um, it goes in phases. Probably give it a couple years and you'll all have wallpaper again because that will come back. Um, but you, you might pick your wallpaper out because you like the design or it matches how it connects with your flooring or something like that. But over time, you don't see the little pineapples on the wall or I have pineapples on my shirt. You don't know that I have pineapples up here. You just see a pattern like wallpaper, right? And these verses can become like that. Kind of like, it's good that they're there. Uh, But I don't really connect with them. And so we're going to take a look, kind of like take these verses, turn it this way, turn it this way, turn it this way, maybe flip it inside out and try to look at it from some angles and some perspectives that maybe we haven't or maybe we just haven't in a long time that it would be good to reconnect with to help us do this, to really believe every part, every promise, every truth that is revealed about God and ourselves as people and eternity. So that's what we're going to do in this series. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. 
By the way, these are, many of these verses are verses that you usually say if you have them memorized in like 6x speed. You know? For God's the Lord, I gave you the only son. Right? Who can say it the fastest? I'm going to try to say them slower. Just go, if, if you notice I'm saying the verse and I'm going too fast, just raise your hand and I'll like, bring it back down. Here's Matthew 8, 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So that's the verse we're going to look at. It's the only verse we're really going to zero in on. We'll have some others that will connect with it. But we're going to start at the very front. 18 is probably not a verse that is as commonly known, although sometimes it's tied together. But 18 says, the first part of 18 says, Jesus came near. And just pause right there, because you probably don't pause like I haven't paused at that phrase. Jesus came near. Here's the first truth I want us to reflect on in this passage, that Jesus is near right now to you. If you've put your faith in Christ, if you're following Christ, if he is your Savior, he's really, really close to you. He's in you is what the scriptures say. But it's really easy for us to forget that. I actually think throughout this series, one of the reasons why these verses become like wallpaper to us is because we forget this point, that Jesus is near. He's close to us. Let me ask you, um, you know, what difference does it make to you if you know and are conscious that Jesus is near, and this is the Jesus, let me remind you, who loves you more than anyone else, understands you more fully than anyone else, that sees your strengths better, that is more intimately aware of your weaknesses. The same Jesus who, even though he knows all that about you, delights in you more completely than anybody else, accepts you more fully than anybody else, and believes in you more firmly than anyone else that you know. That Jesus is near. I kind of give myself goosebumps right now because that is, that's a life changer. If we think about it, it changes a lot. Colossians 1.27 describes uh, another verse that describes how close he is to us. It says it's a mystery, the glorious wealth of this mystery. And this is the mystery, which is Christ in you which is really a mystery if you ponder it, because Jesus is the same Jesus who created the universe, and now he says he's in you and I. He's closer to you, actually. Think about this. Wouldn't it have been awesome to have been on that hill or mountaintop where Jesus was talking? These, there's like 12 of you right in the front, yo, and you guys are the 12 disciples, and you're hearing him say this. Wouldn't that be cool? Jesus is closer to you right now than he was to those guys. He was, they could have felt his breath on their face. Jesus is in you if you're in Christ. 
He's closer to you now than he was to those disciples then. There's a song we used to sing many years ago here at church. It was on our set list for a long time. It was called Everything by Tim Hughes, and it describes, I just, it's very easy to sing, but it, he just goes through his lyrics. I'll read them for you. Just goes through how Christ is with you through every part of every day. He says, God in my living, I'm not going to say all, it's just God in my, God in my, all over. So God in my living, my breathing, my waking, my sleeping, my, li- my resting, my working, my thinking, my speaking, God in my hoping, my dreaming, my watching, my waiting, God in my laughing, my weeping, my hurting, my healing, Christ in me, the hope of glory. There's Colossians 1.27 quoted. You are everything. Be my everything. Friends, Jesus is near. I'll repeat that multiple times. Hopefully, if you forget nothing else this morning, you will remember Jesus is near. So that's the first part of verse 18. Jesus came near and said to them, and then he says this, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He's saying all authority over everything that is existing has been given to me, which makes sense because elsewhere in Colossians, I won't read it, it describes how Jesus created everything. So if you make something, you should... Have authority over it, right? That makes sense. The Father has given Jesus all authority. That's the second point this morning. Jesus has all authority. Actually, I'll read verse Colossians 1.16, which does describe that. It says, For everything was created by him, speaking of Jesus, in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. Jesus has all authority. If Jesus gets to boss around galaxies and supernovas, should he have the ability to tell me what to do? I think so. I think he should. When I was five years old, you can't see it now. I used to be able to show off my scar because now I have some hair back there. Uh, but I used to keep it cut really short, as you all know, and I have a scar in the back of my head that happened when I was five years old. I was playing hide-and-seek, and we had this low, like, half wall that was really, like, higher than my head, but, you know, half wall, and it was sort of made out of cinder blocks that was kind of, like, was around our patio and the house that we lived, and it was covered with some kind of stucco material, but the stucco was, like, really spiky, like, sharp. Like, I didn't even want to climb up on it, you know? because it would hurt your hands and feet. Well, I was counting with my head against that wall, like the end of the wall, and it was just five, and I was counting, and I was just, every time I counted, I sort of like tapped my head on the back of the wall. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You've probably had kids that do things like that. That doesn't make sense. Why would you bang your head on the wall while you're counting? But they just do things like that. Well, all of a sudden, I felt something on the back of my neck, kind of warm and wet. And so I rubbed it, and I had red all over my hand. I was bleeding. And because of those sharp little things on the wall, it hit me just right, and it just split my scalp. And it was like, not just like a little bit of blood. It was like really bleeding. So I ended up needing stitches. And uh, to put stitches on the back of your head, you need to be face down on a table, which isn't really fun for a five-year-old. It didn't go well, I don't think. I actually really like control. My mom's here. She could tell the story better than I could. 
Ask her after the service. She'll tell it to you, I bet. Um, here's how much I like control. The, I've only had like two really little surgeries. That was one, if you want to count it. And the other one was um, I used to get ingrown toenails really bad. And when I was in junior high, I got one really bad that needed to be like cut out, like part of it, not pulled out. And I chose, because I want to know what's happening to me, to watch them do the whole thing. They asked me, do you want to watch or not? And I said, I want to watch. Put the thing in and I watched them take the scissors and jam it under my... <laughs> pull it out. Sorry for that. I can get a little over overboard there. So I, I, it was... A, it was what, what the doctors were doing when I was five, were, they were trying to help me. And my parents were trying to calm me down. They were on my side. I even kind of had some idea that they were on my side, but I still could... I resisted. I didn't... I was afraid. That's what it was. It was fear. I was afraid. I fought the authorities in my life who had my best interests in mind. What about you? Are you fighting right now? Are you fighting God over anything? Are you wrestling with his authority over your life right now? Maybe you have a bad habit. You know it's not helping you. It's hurting your life. And you just don't want to give it up. Maybe you've been wounded. And you know what would be best is to release that to God, but you don't want to. I'd rather hold on. Maybe you have hopes and dreams that seem like they're shattered, but you still don't want to let go. Or maybe they're hopes and dreams for someone else, like your kids that just seem aren't coming to fruition. And you're wrestling for control of that. Maybe you are in an immoral relationship and you know what God says and you said, no, I'm not going to give this up. Maybe you know God is calling you to step out in faith and you say, I don't know if I'm going to really trust you in that. Friends, Jesus has all authority, but let me remind you of our first point. Jesus is near. He wants to help you take that step, listen to his voice, put into practice what he says. He's not just going to watch until you do it or don't and then hammer you if you don't do it. He's actually ready to help, really close, to help you do that. Psalm 103 says this, 14. I love it when the Bible insults us <clears throat> because it sort of knocks our pride down a little bit. In Psalm 103 it says, for he knows what we are made of. Dust. You are dirt. I am dirt. In other words, our ability, he, well actually Adam was formed out of dirt, right? He just made us out of stuff. And I'm not saying he thinks you're worthless. He actually thinks we're super precious and valuable. But he also knows that our abilities to do with what he's given us is just meager. And he's, he knows that. The next verse says, and he's like a father who has compassion on his children. If you didn't have a father who had compassion, or if you had a father who did at times have compassion, like I am a father who sometimes has compassion and sometimes doesn't, God's like the father who always has the kind of compassion you always want to get. And he's near, you and I. Okay, verse 19 says, that's verse 18. Maybe we're less familiar with that. We're familiar with 19. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now therefore is always there for a reason. 
which is previous to what is said. Because Jesus is near, because he has all authority, go, make disciples of all nations. So here's the part. Third part is that God has called you. And we're going to talk about three ways that he's called you. Because he's called you. This is not just to 12 guys, as we're going to see later. It's actually to everyone who would call themselves a Jesus follower. He's called you to do three things at least. He's called you to go and to make disciples of all nations. And that word go, actually, in this phrase, there's, there's kind of seems like there's several commands, like go, make disciples, baptize. Those are all verbs. The, the only imperative verb, which is really the command Jesus is telling us to do, is make disciples. As you go, make disciples of all nations and baptize and teach them. So there's two ways. You, you can't make disciples of all nations without going. Somebody's got to cross a border or an ocean in order to tell all nations about Jesus. Maybe he's calling you to do it. Maybe he will call you to do it. And if you don't, or if he doesn't call you to specifically cross the border or an ocean, I know for sure he's calling you to somehow be involved in making disciples of all nations because he gave this to us. So that might mean that you go for a little while on a short-term trip. It might mean that you pray for those who are going or you support them financially, all of the above or some of the above, but we have to do one of them, at least one. So... Remember this, Jesus is near to you. He'll walk with you through each of those steps. But also, as you go in your everyday life, would be another way to say that, as you go in your everyday life, make disciples. Now, I don't know what your everyday life looks like. I don't even know what my wife's everyday life looks like. Because I'm not with her all day long every day. I have a sense. I know her life a little bit better than many of your lives. But only you and God really know your everyday life and how it is that he's asking you to be involved in making disciples. And so that's really going to be something that you and the Lord have to work out and you have to listen personally to what he's asking you to do. So that leads us to the second part. You are called to go and as you are going, you're also called to be a disciple and make disciples. You're called to be a disciple and make disciples. A disciple is just this, a follower or an imitator. Another way to say it is a disciple is somebody who here understands and puts into practice, lives out the words of Jesus. The reason why the 12 disciples follow Jesus around is the best way to learn how to be like someone else is to spend a lot of time with them. And they would learn what he says, but they would also observe what he does and what he doesn't do, how he interacts, what his priorities are, what he deprioritizes. So let me just ask this. To be a disciple, you were definitely called to be a disciple. Are you listening, understanding, and putting into practice what Jesus is saying to you? Just that simple. It's a good question for us, me, to ask, too. Is, am I doing that? And let me just tell you again, I'm going to keep reminding you, if it sounds like what he's saying and what you think you're understanding that he's asking you to put into practice is hard, just remember this. Jesus is near. He doesn't expect you to do this on your own. He actually wants to walk right with you as you do this. He's the best kind of teacher. Second part of that is to make disciples. So first part is to be one. 
Second part is to help other people. So our mission at Cottonwood is to help people find and follow Jesus. So if you find Jesus and you start following him, then you've become a disciple. And then the second part is to help other people do the same thing. You know what? I'm really glad that 12 disciples didn't brush this off. You and I are gathered here because person after person decided, I'm going to help someone who's to follow Jesus, and that person helped someone to follow Jesus, and that person helped to follow Jesus, and 2,000 years of people doing that, and we're in Cottonwood Community Church. And it might be 1,000 more years before Jesus returned. It could only be 10. could be 5. could be 100. I don't know when he's going to come back, but there might be a Cottonwood Community Church that does or does not exist because of how I choose to make disciples or not just like the 12 original ones did, to make disciples or not. I want to tell you, if that sounds overwhelming, you know what I'm going to say, right? Jesus is near. He's with you and I. He's with you and I. Okay, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So, first you're called to go, and as you are going, do the following. Make disciples and be a disciples, and now it's to be baptized and to be baptizing. So you only, you're really called to be a baptizer if you've first been baptized. And the baptism, which I'm not going to talk a ton about, um, is a sign of us, what Jesus gave us, of, what it, of, of an indication that I'm a Jesus follower. He included it here for a reason. So I'm going to be blunt, and I'm going to risk offending a handful of you. Some of you have trusted in Jesus. You've put your faith in them. You even identify as a Christ follower, but you haven't been baptized, and Jesus would be saying to you right now, go and be baptized. Sorry, that's just what Jesus says. I didn't say it. He really said it. Now, there might be reasons why you do it or don't do it, but that might be one of your applications today. Um, I don't know where the phrase came. When I was a kid, it was a lot more common. But there was a sticker that would be on, like, stores and restaurants, and it would say this, no shirt, no shoes, no service. I'm guessing that might have been because of the hippie movement that would maybe wander around without shoes or shirts or whatever, because I don't really see a lot of people without shoes or shirts. Maybe that's somewhere south. But, I mean, I lived in North Dakota. They still had them up. I'm not sure where that came from. I want to tell you this about the early church, and you could study this out, and I could recommend a book to you or two that would help you learn about this. But in the early church, they took this baptism thing a lot more seriously than we do. Some of their, they didn't have signs like this, but in order to gather with those who are Christ followers, they had different kinds of gatherings. But in order to gather in the early Christian church with those who are Christ followers, it really is really this. No belief, no baptism, no service. You weren't really even allowed in here if you didn't have belief expressed and played out by baptism. Now, I'm not advocating for that, by the way. I actually think there's reasons they did that that are different culturally than they are for right now. I'm just going to mention that because they took it real serious. I think sometimes for us, we can take some of the things Jesus said and say, "Ah, I don't know if it's that serious. So I don't know. You take with it what it's worth. I'll stop talking about that right now. But let me just say this. Maybe you have felt like you want to get baptized, or maybe you felt like, I think Jesus wants me to, but I'm, something's holding me back from it. Maybe you're afraid of getting wet in public. 
Maybe you don't like the idea of telling other people you want to follow Jesus. Maybe you're still riding the fence in your heart about where you're really at. Maybe, maybe you like the idea of people thinking you're more committed to Jesus than you know, than you know that you are really are. Because baptism doesn't really, it really doesn't say that you are or you aren't committed, but you know inside, I'm not really that committed, and that's kind of why I'm holding back. Maybe that could be you. Maybe, maybe you know that someone, if you got baptized, and I've had friends that I've helped walk through this, that if you get baptized, it's going to make someone mad. In your family, a friend is going to be offended that you did that. Or maybe you have trust issues, and you know that baptism is really a sign of saying, I really, really do trust Jesus with my whole life. There's, there's so many other lists. Let me just tell you my baptism story. I was baptized as a baby. In a different church tradition, my parents baptized me as a baby. I'm thankful for that. I wanted to follow Jesus as I got older. In college is really where it started for me. I, um, I heard about a church that was doing some baptisms. A friend of a friend was going to be involved in one. And then they asked me, well, have you been baptized? No, I haven't been baptized. Not, I mean, I was baptized as a baby, but not as a, not as a me expressing it as my faith. And so they said, well, do you want to? And I said, yeah, let's do it. And so I did. I got baptized. And it actually was at Cottonwood. I didn't even tend Cottonwood at the time. Actually, it wasn't at Cottonwood. It was at an apartment building. It was a gallery of apartments. Cottonwood was arranging for some of their members to get baptized. And some of you maybe even got baptized there. I can't remember. Jean gave me a video some time ago, and I lost it. So mad about losing that. She had like an old VHS or something and didn't know it existed. Let me just say this. Can I just repeat it? If this baptism thing is a little overwhelming for you, you want to say it with me? Jesus is near. He'll walk with you through that too. He's not saying, uh, I'll help you uh, when you show me that you're committed by getting baptized. No, he's saying, I'll walk with you every single step of the way. Okay, so... Once you get baptized, then you can be involved in helping other people take that step of faith to be baptized as well. So it's be baptized and then be baptizing. Okay, lastly on the go and call is go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. So lastly, you're called to be taught and to be teaching. You can't teach other people unless you first have received teaching and understand it, right? So Jesus's way of teaching, he wasn't trying to necessarily, or most importantly, persuade you or I to believe certain things. He wasn't trying to necessarily get our intellectual understanding to come around to the way that he thinks, although those are part of what he did. Primarily what Jesus taught was a way to be, a way to live, a way to love, and I'm, you're, we're going to emphasize this next week, a way to be loved. Being loved by God is essential. You and I receiving, taking in God's love is absolutely essential before we're going to be able to obey, to observe, to live out any of what he says. We just can't consistently do it in our own power. For me, the light switched on in college. 
back, like maybe rewind like about a year and a half from when I got baptized, and I had my freshman year of college, I uh, wandered into Smith Hall at University of North Dakota, and there was a Bible study downstairs with a group of guys, and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm a, I, I believe in Jesus, and I'm, I'm into that, like, I'll go to the Bible study, and uh, the difference was that these people weren't just trying to, like, understand, they were, they were trying to understand what Jesus said, but the thing that was significantly different from some of what I had maybe even been aware that people tried to do in my growing up years, I'm sure I was around people who wanted to do this, is that these guys were really intent on trying to figure out how to live out what Jesus taught. Now, I know I was around people growing up that were trying to do that, but my, you know, the light bulb went off for me right now. Oh, it's not just about believing what Jesus said. It's actually about trying to put it into practice. And so I did that with these guys. And let me just be honest with you. These guys weren't very good at it. <laughs> they really weren't very good at putting into practice what Jesus said. But you know what they were doing? They were trying. And they were getting a little bit better at figuring out how to allow God's love to help them follow Jesus. And that was really like a not turning back point for me. That, that was kind of what changed me. Like, okay, so I want to learn how to do what Jesus said, and then I want to try to help other people do the same. That's being taught and then teaching. Here's how the passage closes. The passage starts, Jesus came near to them, and then Jesus says this out loud to them. Here's the last phrase. And remember remember, this is the reason why I've repeated it so many times this morning, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always to the end of the age. Friends, he brings it full circle. First, he physically comes near to them, and then he just says, remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Always, always. Jesus is always near. So I'm going to end a little differently. I'm going to ask you to stand so we're ready to sing our closing song. Worship team, you can come on up if you want while we do this. If you believe, if you're a follower of Jesus and you believe that you are called to make disciples, you answer me, okay? So put that last one up there if you would, Rich. It says, do you believe it? So I'm going to ask you, do you believe it? And if you do, you say, yes, I believe it. And then all together we'll say, let's go live it. Okay? So do you believe it? Yes, I believe it. Let's go live it. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being such a kind, gentle, thoughtful Savior that you would choose to make your residence and each of your followers as a source of strength, as a source of encouragement, as a source of courage, as a source of power, as a source of truth, that you wouldn't just call us and say, go figure it out and let me know when you do. No, you said, let's go. You come, you follow me. I'm going to be in you. I will help you every step of the way to follow me to be a disciple, to be a follower, and to make a follower. Jesus, would you just help us? We need your help. We need your help to be a follower of you, and we need your help. Lord, help us to help others.
to find Jesus, to find you, and to follow you. In your name we pray. Amen.